This podcast is brought to you by Mad Company, a nonprofit theater company based out of New York City. Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Hail of a Conversation, a Mad Company production. <laughs> My name is James Hale. I am the executive director of Mad Company and your host for this podcast. With me in the studio today is the wonderful Helena Mueller, an actor extraordinaire, a burgeoning fight director and choreographer, and one of the vice presidents of Mad Company. Welcome, Helena. Thanks. I'm going to make you redo it and say Helena Miller. I, that's my first. <laughs> literally, my first. Okay. Actually, I'm not going to redo it because <laughs> my very first question is, how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, Helena Miller. I'm going to make you redo it. I might record another one. It's terrifying. And then left, <laughs> left it behind. We're tired. Right, and we're back after that exciting interruption. What next season will hold? My <laughs> name is James Hale. Okay, why, why Miller? It's spelled with an M, a U-E. Yeah, I don't know. It's a Midwest thing. If you go around Wisconsin specifically, but maybe Minnesota too, there's a whole bunch of us, what should be German, like Müller, Fulan, Umlauts, make it German, that go by Miller. So it is officially Miller. It is Miller. But if you ever ask me to spell it and or I have to go somewhere where I have to spell it, I will say Mueller. So I will just throw people off. Fair enough. (laughs) Professionally and correctly. Helena Miller, yeah. Beautiful. (laughs) Okay, well, I might record another one. Great. We'll just not do that bit, but maybe not. To start, can you just sort of chart your journey from the University of Minnesota, the Twin Cities, to vice president of what some people have called the most exciting young theater company (laughs) in the world? In the world. world. Wow, we're doing so well. Yeah, so I went to the University of Minnesota for undergrad, studied English and theater, predominantly focusing on a lot of devised and original work within that BA program. Because of that, it was great while studying English because I got to write a whole bunch of my own stuff and be in a whole lot of uh, new work. But I felt like I was sort of lacking a bit of structure and rigor when it came to the actual acting training side of things. I got a taste of it with some classes But during my junior, summer after my junior year at the University of Minnesota, I did a short course over in London doing Lambda's Shakespeare Summer Intensive. Loved it. Loved the long, like, eight, 12-hour days and the teachers that were there. Uh, And that sort of set me on the path of deciding I at least wanted to get a master's made some connections while over there and then started auditioning that following winter of my senior year to sort of throw my hat into the ring. Sure. Auditioned for a couple of programs and got into Lambdas. And I knew I knew I loved them. Hell yeah. So uh, yeah, headed over there, met all of the other crazy folks of Mad Company. And when I was leaving Lambda, it was sort of like stay in London, move to New York or move to LA. And staying in London seemed tough. And I've never been a big fan of L.A., so (laughs) (laughs) ended up in New York. Yeah. How did I become vice president, co-chair? Co-vice president president of the board. Yeah. Once we all got to New York, we wanted to start making work again. So we made Mad Company. And then it happened. Then it happened. Co-vice president, obviously, with Mm -hmm. Maddie Albrechts. Um, Yeah. What does that entail? How, what, do, what does your role require of you as vice president of the board? Uh, we, between Maddie and I, we do some of the logistics when it comes to 
performance reviews. So we've come up with a system where we can uh, review you, James Hill. Right, you're my uh, best. <laughs> and uh, our artistic director, Lauren Zabilski. In addition to that, I feel like we end up sort of being the sounding board for both you and Lauren sometimes, mm. being a bit of a like second set of ears slash the, I don't even know, what would the word be? Sort of people within the stopgap to make sure things don't go completely awry. Sure. I feel like that's basically our role. Sure. Yeah, I, <laughs> I feel like whenever I'm talking about the yeah. board, there's certain board roles and duties mm -hmm. that we have to fulfill. And then also I just kind of generally feel like this is the brain trust. Yeah. You know, the, the group of us who are most closely involved in the work. So you are from, sometimes you say Milwaukee, sometimes you say Heartland, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. I assume you just give yourself the largest <laughs> area that people will recognize. <laughs> yeah. um, so why did you go to Minnesota? I really wanted to get out of my immediate area. My mom has joked before that I was like ready to leave since I was 12. Um, not necessarily <laughs> lovingly, and at 12 years old, I probably thought that I could. But I was going to be paying for my education myself. And so Wisconsin and Minnesota have reciprocity, in which oh. I can go to Minnesota for in-state tuition. So the Twin Cities seemed like the farthest away larger city that I could go <laughs> without going massively in debt. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I mean, well, that's definitely an important consideration. Um, so you mentioned, and I'm interested in this, I don't have this in my notes, mm -hmm. but you went to a four-year university to mm -hmm. study drama and English. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you were sort of through that process became much more interested in like a conservatory style mm -hmm. acting training, which is really interesting to me because I do feel like there's often a disconnect between academic drama studies and basically what we did at Lambda, which is mm -hmm. the intensive acting curriculum. And I'm wondering though, if with your focus on devised work and original work, how did that affect your studies versus like a traditional studying drama at a four-year university what what does that look like it looked like a lot of weird specialized classes uh, okay <laughs> but essentially well at, at 18 i didn't even i had no concept that you could go i, I didn't know what a drama program would look like right. i never heard of conservatory didn't realize that you could audition all i knew about was like seeing fame and hearing about Juilliard and I knew like NYU and Juilliard existed but that you went into like six figures worth of debt and so I just wrote it off not realizing that those schools also existed elsewhere including the University of Minnesota uh, that I just never auditioned for their program interesting um, okay yeah I also English was my my safety uh, major <laughs> the high because jobs I could really expect. yeah I get a lot more work as an English major of course yes, than a naturally. theater major but yeah, so it ended up looking like doing clown classes and mm. puppet classes with incredible people, a good core of the people, the instructors that I worked with. Two of them that I loved working with came from a theater company that they had started called uh, Theater de la Jeanne Lune in Minneapolis, and they studied under Jacques Lecoq. Um, mm, yeah. And so having a lot of their guidance and mentorship it was finding like the physicality of different worlds and 
stories, working with masks and finding stories within that. All the cool classes. All the cool classes. But also because Minnesota is a research university, a lot of the teachers that were teaching us had to have some type of research project. And so every semester, Mm. different instructors were doing their own projects that they had to involve students into, which were generally original works within their theater companies or within their own personal lives. So yeah, kind of just a funky mix of... (laughs) Weird projects. Just everything. <laughs> um, so with that sort of collegiate background, are you, do you feel like you're still involved in or pursuing any work in that sort of original devised sphere? I think so. I still really love writing and have been had like at least two ideas that are rattling around in my brain for a couple of years. I think I've stepped back more from just the straight up devised experimental work. I think there's a big value to art being able to like reach a very wide audience and sometimes it can be really difficult to take one person's brainchild and work with like 10 other people and keep that work in a bubble and then expect it to reach a lot of people and it might have a great impact on a handful but when I think back to like the artsy weird like let me explore the difference between light and dark and being a child of light or a child of dark and just weird let me take a quote and just like riff on that for 30 minutes I'm like that might feel really good for me as an artist and maybe the other artists involved in the process but does not necessarily read well to right the people watching it yeah do you do you feel that true art or not necessarily true art but like some some part of the art is dependent upon the audience Oh, yeah, 100%. I think you can create art solely for yourself, which is great. But at the end of the day, you're trying to find themes, stories, and characters that resonate with humans. And I I think art as healing or art as journaling or art as self-reflection definitely has a space. But in terms of thinking of art uh, within the career or vocation sense, you're, you should always be thinking about your audience. Right. Art as communication versus art as introspective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two different times you went to Lambda for the short course right before your senior year, yeah? Yeah. And then, obviously, you came and got the the big boy, the the master of arts. So with your history, your undergraduate history in, like, devised original work, Mm. were you a fan of classics and the Shakespeare before sort of being thrown in and immersed in them? Or was that something that grew out of you did it every day, so you grew to love it? No, definitely. That was sort of my first love of theater with Shakespeare. When I was, um, God, like 14, I did my first play. I did one when I was like six and then left <laughs> left it behind, retired the stage. But at 14, did like a high school production of Alice in Wonderland and loved it. I played a violet and a playing card. But my uncle Paul heard about it, heard that I was doing theater. And he gifted me for that following summer the gift of going to a theater camp in central Wisconsin at okay. this place called the American Players Theater oh, okay. um, that does just like studies Shakespeare. And so that first summer we did Julius Caesar and I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. And there's a whole bunch of like 13 to 17 That's year olds doing intense show for Julius Caesar. Julius yeah. Wow. Yeah. But that was incredible because I was like, oh my God, this text is amazing. And while going to different workshops and classes throughout the day, then we also just saw like five different shows at APT, which is known for just being incredible when it comes to the classics. And I saw Hamlet and I was like, I just understand this entire play. That was amazing. This is incredible. Like, and it just blew my mind. And I was like, yeah, I just want to do that. With English being 
something that I've always been passionate about. I had like read Shakespeare and enjoyed mm-hmm. Shakespeare in a literary sense, but hadn't really dove into what it looked like when it was performed, especially performed well. And so, yeah. And I talked to so many people about this, how Shakespeare is so much clearer mm-hmm. when it's performed because that's how it was originally written. Yeah. You know, we most of our experiences with Shakespeare is through in high school or whatever, we have to read Macbeth or Hamlet mm-hmm. or A Midsummer Night's Dream. And it's so convoluted and it's so difficult. And it really, yeah. I think, turns people off of Shakespeare when, in fact, it should be this fun, let me watch people do this. Mm. And if I don't understand every word, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because I have their actions, I have their intention, I'm watching them go through this. It's like larger than life, just massive epic stories. Exactly. Yeah. So cool. And they're, they're really beautiful versus being trapped on the page. Yeah. Um, when did you first jump into the world of Shakespeare? Pretty much Lambda, honestly. Mm. I, at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro, as a drama minor, I did one very small, like, cut of Hamlet where I was Claudius. We were, like, out. <laughs> we did it in, like, an alleyway in between two of the buildings on campus. Love it. Student director. Uh, it was great. And that was my first really, like, being in Shakespeare. And then... I happened to go to Lambda where almost all we did was Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> um, and probably probably Margaret of Anjou, honestly. Like yeah. Shakespeare was cool. I enjoyed reading the plays, thought it was interesting. Yeah. But being in Margaret of Anjou, um, which for everyone listening is a cut of some of Shakespeare's history plays that Rodney Cotier at Lambda put together, being in that and like feeling how real that could be mm-hmm. and talking with Rodney about these moments that are just sort of beyond like mm. the everyday lives of most characters that you see in in drama and non-Shakespeare that was eye-opening to me yeah it was intense yeah it was a lot but yeah I, <laughs> I didn't really enjoy Shakespeare until I got a master's degree in Shakespeare hey there so, we go <laughs> that, uh, that happened so your background is mostly as an actor, obviously written some things, original devised work. You've moved in from that into a lot of voiceover work here in the city. Mm-hmm. And you're also very excitingly moving into like fight direction, fight choreography. You were the fight director for Romeo and Juliet yeah. um, that Mad Company put up. Are there other hats that you feel like <laughs> you need to inform the public about that you're also a burgeoning juggler or whatever it might be watcher i can juggle um but (laughs) (laughs) um god no i can barely keep on those hats no those are really the focuses right now how and why did you move into those spheres voiceover is one of those things where i've sort of sounded like this since i was 13 and i've been told since I was quite young that I should do radio, do something, do Mm -hmm. whatever. And when COVID hit, those voices sort of started resonating again, just in the fact that we couldn't leave, we couldn't audition, we couldn't do our jobs. And so I had like a real crappy USB plug-in snowball microphone and garage band and built a blanket fort and made my own reel. Uh, <laughs> and then slowly as I got work, and I feel so bad for anyone that actually <laughs> got that work within the first few months, was able to get better equipment, learn more, teach myself how to actually do some basic audio editing so things didn't sound terrible. Sure. And was able to sort of just muscle my way into <laughs> doing it a sort of a full-time job. And so... Yeah, voiceover has just sort of been a one of the only happy 
happenstances of uh, COVID. Silver lining, we'll take it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It gave me the time to do it. Otherwise, I think I would have just kept doing the audition grind sure. and doing projects and not sure. carving out the time that was actually needed to get it off the ground. Fight direction. The more I'm realizing, as a kid, we in my family always had to play a lot of sports and I liked any sports where you could be aggressive on defense and I only played defense really (laughs) and so I'm realizing I was like oh if I had just gone into like martial arts or boxing sooner that's all I really wanted to be doing starting fights no (laughs) but a little bit maybe I love doing stage combat at Minnesota I had done an intensive here and there at Wait, I had done an intensive here or there at Minnesota, loved doing it at Lambda. Mm-hmm. Having our certification sort of cut off because of COVID at Lambda was a bummer. And when I came to New York, I really wanted to find a way to sort of keep doing that stage combat type feeling of work. Found an incredible boxing gym in East Harlem called Women's World of Boxing, which is, I believe, still the only like all-female boxing gym in New York that is just run by an incredible coach and has such a great community and I really fell in love with sort of like the physical effort of learning how to box and teaching myself that sport but also just like defense skill when Romeo and Juliet was coming up and being talked about I and given like the world that we were creating with it the idea of sort of street boxing and boxing in general as a form of violence within this world felt really natural and like a fun take on what can all oftentimes just be people with swords right. fighting each other right. which the, we the long swords yelling yeah at each other. exactly sure. which we don't see a lot of today or we go to west side story like knives and just pull out switchblades all the time and i wanted to make sure that i was entering into that process safely and so i found this great group called neutral chaos here in new york where i could get certified for unarmed combat leading into the production and now sort of building my (laughs) toolbox of random random skills yeah i just started studying shaolin staff as of like a week ago so we'll add shaolin staff and hopefully we'll get certified in that within the next few months we can do with yeah that one would be a bit more tough to work in but we (laughs) that might just be for for you and that might just be for fun yeah all right (laughs) So I have your resume here in mm. front of us. Um, <laughs> very impressive. <laughs> lots of lots of classics, obviously from Lambda. Um, some Minnesota credits, some film credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an item down here under special skills. Mm-hmm. That's interesting to me. How is it that you speak Mandarin? Yeah, it's great that I'm also now also starting Shaolin Staff and I speak Mandarin. I'm really setting myself up exactly. for something in the future. Who knows yeah. what it is? I... Spanish was offered throughout grade school, and I hated it with a burning passion. I could not understand it. I was absolutely terrible. When I got to high school, uh, we had more language options, and one was Mandarin. And I was like, that seems like the most opposite from Spanish. I should give that one a try. And I really enjoyed it. Mandarin clicked a lot more for me than Spanish ever did. And I kept up with it throughout high school, was going to minor in it in college, but then had to take a Mandarin literature course. And as an English major, it really was not enjoyable to sit through a literature course when no one wanted to talk about literature. When So it felt like when I was passionate about these stories and these discussions sitting in a classroom that was just dead and people were like this 
is a plot point. Made me want to uh, rip my hair out of my skull. And so after like three weeks, I dropped that class. I would have needed to have taken like two or three to do the minor. And right. so I was like, no, screw this. I can't, right. can't suffer Approaching through. Approaching literature as a language yeah. discussion and not a, a literary discussion. Yeah, exactly. Mm, yeah. Sounds rough. Yeah. And so I, yeah, sort of stopped studying for a while. And now recently over the past like year have picked it back up again, oh, which has been fun. Good for you. Yeah. Thanks. Good for you. <laughs> That's cool. I've never met anyone who speaks intermediate anything just because they studied in school. So impressive. <laughs> Looking at your credits here, there are several sort of pants roles, gender bent roles mm. um, throughout Shakespeare. You were just played Tybalt to great acclaim in <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, a mad company. I'm wondering when you approach a role, and especially one of these, knowing that it is either pants roll, gender bent, sort of non-traditional, is there a different approach than approaching, say, a classic straight female role? Not for me. I think most people, if you talk to me for longer than a couple hours or get to know me, I'm so passionate about strong women throughout history and have devoted a lot of my time to studying them and learning their stories that when I'm handed a role like Tybalt or like Macduff in Macbeth, I'm it doesn't feel like I'm portraying a man or a woman portraying a man, but it's more so just I'm portraying one of these women that had the same amount of emotional reactivity to their given environments in order to be mm. violent or be angry in that way, which is generally the issue that people have with like women playing male roles is the I think people phrase it in a lot of different ways, but just like the strength behind those roles, which I think is also what's awesome about Shakespeare is because he does write a lot of women into those roles of strength, thinking about Margaret Anjou, who's yeah. just freaking brutal. Um, but simultaneously, the vast majority of the canon is about men. And so having the opportunity to play those roles that are fully fleshed out and strong is a great gift but doesn't feel like I'm approaching it any differently than I would, say, Ophelia or Juliet or any of those guys. Interesting. Yeah. What did, do you feel like you have a, a method of getting into character? What, what, is, your, how is, your, what is your approach to any oh, character? God. Um, Just, <laughs> I guess, high level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, it d definitely depends on the character. I really like, after combing through the text and figuring out the basics of just what are the facts that we know about this person. Then sort of writing about that, journaling about it, and being a bit heady about it. So finding out within my own like first person writing of how I think that they would think about their given circumstances, whether that's journaling about what's happening before the play or before the first scene that they're in, and then expanding them out to different circumstances, journaling about how they felt about a different character in a different circumstance that I'm creating in my mind and sort of allowing a lot of like free-flowing writing and then when it comes to sort of the further actual like physical characterization I think I st always start with their walk and that's just like okay. going through life and figuring out how that person walks it's great with characters like Tybalt or Macduff who are both have military training because that has such a uh, informative physical attribute to it sure. um, and it's really fun walking down the street and being like, how does Tybalt walk? And being like, wow, this feels badass. <laughs> <laughs> should walk like this more often. In that vein, I always make playlists for characters. And so 
as I'm figuring out how they walk, I'm also listening to what I think they would enjoy. Sometimes, generally, that's within like the modern day, even if it's a period piece. Sure. Because like some great like Baroque music just won't hit the same for me, sadly, that it might have. Uh... I don't know. There's a lot of good Baroque music out there. <laughs> there we'll there is. Later. There is. But might not get the same emotional reaction sure. out of me. And those are sort of the, the touchstones. Yeah, sort of writing and then everyday physicality. Uh, Bringing that into the body. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Thinking specifically about Tybalt, were there any, mm -hmm. I have two words here, discoveries and difficulties. Were there any shocking discoveries about the character as you went through getting into this character? Mm -hmm. um, and then what were maybe the difficulties in approaching specifically Tybalt? A really fun discovery that I had sort of after the first like week of table read and work is that in a play where people are very poetic and have a lot to say and love metaphors and love chewing on language, Tybalt doesn't. In our production, Tybalt was the she, so I'll use she, her pronouns sure. for her. But I think you could fit all of, at least in our cut, but in the play in general, because I really don't think we cut much for Tybalt. She says like maybe two pages of text. Now she is the impetus for a lot of mm. action and yeah. is at like the core of why these, spoiler alert, these two people end up dying. Spoiler uh, alert. Sorry. When Mercutio would come at her with these like long insults, Tybalt is like, okay, cut the shit. Like, uh, you villain. Yeah, you villain. <laughs> I'm just gonna like tell you to go screw yourself and that's it. And we're not gonna talk about it and you can fight me. If we're, if we're gonna like have this out, then we're gonna fight. We're not gonna talk about it. Which is a really interesting discovery because I've always loved the role of Tybalt and I think Tybalt has always been like this force in my mind. And then when breaking down the text like you do with any Shakespeare uh, production, I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. She just goes for it. <laughs> right. Great, awesome. Not Let's, a lot of subtlety not, not a lot of subtlety and no long speeches, nothing grand. Which is fun because that in, in, in and of itself is so informative. Difficulties, I mean, there's a lot of fights. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was sort of a difficulty of the process yeah, that I'm that, so glad that we did. But that actually can tie into my next question yeah. is just thinking about you as fight choreographer, like how do you go about choreographing a single sequence, let alone however many pieces, eight pieces of violence yeah. we had in the show? How do you make those uh, specific to the moment while also part of the show at large while also like telling that particular story yeah what is what is that like that was breaking down who all has to fight um first and foremost who who is fighting and then figuring out what is the training that they would have had prior to this fight mm, um sure. find some background yeah and so in discussion with our director hannah it was deciding who had possibly had military training, who had been fighting since they were young. There was sort of a decision early on that fighting and sort of these underground like boxing matches were pretty commonplace in our version of Verona, where on like a Saturday night, if a Capulet walked into a Montague bar, fists might get thrown. They might go have a little like fight club moment back in the... Uh, parking lot who knows but everyone sort of was well versed in fighting had been hit and had hit someone before mm. which is a really fun place to start as a fight director but really tough when you have a four-week rehearsal because you have to now make a whole bunch of people that are not regularly getting in fights thank goodness 
look like they regularly Seem get in like fights. They are, yeah. Which I'm very thankful that I was cast as Tybalt because with a boxing background, it at least made <laughs> the job of Tybalt myself easier um, yeah. as being the person that is the most well-versed in sort of fighting and that world because of what is said of Tybalt is just that she's great at fighting people uh <laughs> said, often. said often and so then it was deciding the characters you have this intro fight where you have four people that are sort of like mid-tier grunts in these sort of like mob dueling families that get to have these bigger messier fights because maybe they haven't they're not going to like a boxing coach every week and or getting any real training but they've learned a lot on the streets and they're scrappy and so they're pulling hair and twisting ears and kneeing each other in the stomach and sort of breaking the rules and then you have characters like Benvolio who is all about peace and is very by the book and fought a lot in the past but maybe doesn't anymore but has that muscle memory and being able to create like a really well crafted fight sequence was a lot of fun and then we get to involve knives, and, um, and now a weapon gets pulled. Yeah, all of a sudden, get into like the stakes of that moment, and picking weapons that feel honest to the character. So you have Mercutio, that we had decided most likely had military experience and had been to war, and therefore had a trench knife on her for most scenes. Um, and it was sort of a holdover from what she learned to fight with when she was in actual military training and then Tibble just had like a brutal hunting knife because she just wants to show people that she means business and then I think Prince had the same knife as Tybalt um, or Paris, Paris yeah. had the same knife as Tybalt but Romeo had just like a standard dagger like it was clearly something that was most likely gifted to him hmm. is not used often is very well maintained. And so then figuring out how to fight how to fight with those knives and who's comfortable holding a knife. Paris was not as comfortable holding a knife as like <laughs> um he was, not, he, was a, he was a gentle boy. Yeah. Yeah, he probably he might he had pulled it before to learn how to use it and then probably never had before. Yeah, and never so sadly, it, yeah, died pretty quickly <laughs> once swords got once knives got involved. Oh yeah. That's fascinating. That's a yeah. lot. I guess from the receiving end of like the choreography, you don't think about how mm. much goes into it yeah you know we were told by you this is how you'll move and maybe a little bit of like why mm -hmm. um, either for staging or for background yeah but not nearly to the depth of like who had what training who mm. was comfortable doing what yeah that's fascinating yeah very cool <laughs> um well in our last few minutes here i've got a few questions that i wonder if you could just off the top of your head blurt out some answers what are some stage roles that you're most interested in pursuing I would love, in terms of Shakespeare, I'd love to play Richard II, which I think would be very different from what I normally play, but okay. I think it's some of the most beautiful language in the canon. I want to play Queen Margaret again mm. and make her a badass. I'd also love to play Boudicca in uh, Tristan Bernays play Boudicca. Um, okay. It's contemporary, but about a badass uh, lady that did exist. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's top of the list. Excellent. Um, what are your favorite roles that you have played? Tybalt's now up there. Macduff is up there, shockingly. Uh, two, <laughs> two roles of just, and Queen Margaret. I think those are probably my top three. Queen Margaret is the most brutal and vicious out of those. Which yeah. is, oh, it's a lot of fun playing someone that just I, is I remember watching hardcore. It. 
So Mad Company is beginning some workshops, some education. Mm. You're starting a movement class. Do you have other classes planned or that you would like to take for Mad Company or offer for Mad Company? Uh, we'll see. I think at some point a stage combat intensive workshop would be a lot of fun. I think it's really pivotal for every actor to at least have some level of being comfortable fighting, whether that's just doing a nice slap on stage right. or a gut punch, something. Because when you're telling stories, a lot of times things get heated. And I think the movement classes will be really great. It'll be awesome to sort of turn to this community that we've created through the process of Romeo and Juliet, whether that's with different artists that saw our work or that we've reached out to over the past year that we've been a company and create a space for us to all move together and be in a space together creating work that doesn't need to see the light of yeah. day and can just be continuing practice yeah exactly interesting i'm very excited for it <laughs> um and then finally i've i've asked this to everyone who's been on the show so far which has been one person um, <laughs> but we'll continue it if you weren't an actor slash artist slash creative what would you be ah i hate this question because i, I as, as a kid i wanted to be everything like literally just changed the career path that i wanted all the time from like teacher to marine to professional ice skater to randomly just anything and then i was like oh as an actor you could do it all, all those and that was what blew my mind when i was a kid so what would i be i don't know man I'm not letting you off the hook here. No, I know. <laughs> I'll think of something. I love the physicality of stage combat, but would never want to be a professional boxer or go down, wow. that, okay. go down that route. That would be terrible. And so what would it be? I think a part of me would like love outdoor education, and I love camping and hiking and that sort of physicality of just pushing your body to different extremes and taking care of yourself outside. It'd be fun to teach other people also how to do that. But I also am too ambitious for that. To sit like I would also then be like, and I'd write a book about it. And so people uh, would figure out my thoughts because so I clearly come back to being a somehow. <laughs> somehow. I don't know. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, well, <laughs> Helena Miller, as we now know, thank you so much for joining us today. This was one thank hail you. of a conversation. Um, yeah, working, working title, but we'll probably stick That's with it. That's great. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us. My name is James Hale. This has been Helena Miller, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for listening. To learn more about any of the creatives who spoke in this episode, check out their social media links in the episode description.